Hey, welcome back to this uh, furthering the series we're doing where we're um, revisiting sidecasts. Yeah, we, we did a, a not a, to be mistaken with the new sidecasts we are doing. Yes, and, uh, or will be doing. These are um, ones that Jay Blake and I did at our sister site podwits.com. And, and again, this is something for us that we thought these were so good. And these were the ones that were really <laughs> we ourselves on the back with this. Yeah, one. well, because these are the ones that we really got us and gave us the idea, planted the seed of doing Saturday Night yeah. Movie Sleepovers. Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers wouldn't exist had we not done these. This actually started where you were like, I'm doing these other podcasts with my friends. It would be fun for us to do one. And one night, a late night. In L.A. And an L.A. trip. We were a little bit drunk, and you were like, you just hit record. And I was like, these calls started with, like, you know what? We're going to be talking about this shit anyway. Yeah, let's if just record you, it. I was like, if Deanne, if you think somebody's going to want to listen to this, feel free to record. And look, and look where it's gotten us today. <laughs> so we're going through these, and we're issuing these out. And this one comes back to, it's, it's near and dear to our hearts, this particular one. This is back of August of 2014, last year. Uh, this is when the legendary special effects um, maestro Dick Smith passed away. And we, it was just... We thought it was so, so sad of his passing that we wanted to, to talk about him, celebrate his legacy. Pay a little tribute yeah. to a man that gave uh, cinema, especially modern cinema, so much. Yeah, and also, it's a really fun little nugget for the two of us because we actually have a Dick a, Smith story. A very fun Dick Smith story that we, we, we spent a night with Dick Smith. <laughs> and, An evening with Dick Smith. And that's all discussed in this cast. So we hope you enjoy it and uh, we hope you enjoy that what we're doing here when we're revisiting the sidecast. So, uh, Just trying to give you a little something more to chew on. Yeah, a little more flavor. So a little more uh, broadening our horizons. So enjoy. <laughs> Welcome to a very special edition of the uh, Podwood Sidecast. I'm joined always by the ever-loving uh, Jay Blake. I am ever-loving, and thank you for <laughs> having me. Uh, I'm Dion Baia, and we're here for this very special episode to be serious and talk about somebody who's huge in the industry, in the industry who just passed last week, and that's uh, Dick Smith, who is uh, hugely influential. Uh, God rest his soul, he was 91 or 92 when he passed away. Uh, and he he practically just uh, reinvented and defined the industry that we know it today, special effects and makeup effects and uh, monster effects, and um, we just thought we should sit down and talk a little bit about him because I guess, sadly, a lot of people don't know about him. Well, he's an icon um, called the godfather of makeup. Um, you know, I think... You know, obviously, generations before us growing up had things like um, the Monsters of Filmland magazine and stuff. But I feel like our generation is one of, if not the first generation, to really grow up with behind-the-scenes footage and documentaries about how movies are made and um, really highlighting the magic of movies and how it's created. And I think... Anybody who, you know, aspired, of our generation who aspired to make movies probably started, uh, had that love kindled uh, with a fascination with, with makeup effects and special effects. And I think that's where a lot of people that are our age that wanted to make movies 
uh, are making movies. I think that was a big place where we kind of became fascinated with movies. And the uh, and Dick Smith is, you know, he's, you know, obviously he just died recently in his early 90s. So he's, you know, he's not dating back to like Universal Horror or anything. But getting into the 60s and 70s, he's really like the key uh, makeup a guy, makeup guy that then influenced guys like Rick Baker and uh, Rob Bottin, um, Tom Savini. Uh, all those guys are kind of direct descendants of yeah, Dick Smith, almost like his students as well. I mean, that's how I guess a lot of people found out that uh, Dick or Mr. Smith had passed away was because Rick Baker tweeted out, you know, that he had died, and so that was, I guess, maybe the first official um, statement, I guess, by the by the estate that he died, but. What's interesting about him is that, you know, he was in his early 90s, so he had a huge career, but it's unique in a sense where I guess you could say with the late Stan Winston and uh, Rick Baker, uh, they transcend, but Dick Smith certainly in the 60s and 70s worked in all genres. He did horror, but he also did, you know, uh, big budget, like uh, all the people we know, like Scorsese, Coppola, he worked with all those guys back in the 70s, all the big-time directors, I think Brian De Palma or maybe even... Mm-hmm. Um, and got a start in television. Yeah, in the 50s. You know, I mean, uh, I guess to give a little background, he was born in 1922 in Largemont, New York, so he's kind of where, near where uh, Jay and I are now, uh, <laughs> reside. And he, I guess, he went to pre-med school at Yale and he thought he was going to be a dentist. And then he got his hands, I guess, while going to school on a, on a makeup book. And that was it from there. It was there. like theatrical makeup, yeah. Yeah, and that was in the, in, I guess, in the late 30s, early 40s. And then in 1945, he joined the very, very young NBC when I guess NBC was making the change over to, uh, to TV because TV started to come out in the late 40s after the war. And then he worked for a good 10 plus years in that era that is now really forgotten about that live TV movie environment where a lot of those. New York actors like Marlon Brando, James Dean, Dennis Hopper, and uh, they really like... Uh, McQueen. McQueen, yeah. William Shatner. Shatner. <laughs> uh, and a lot of other people like Ralph Bellamy and uh, Jackie Gleason, Art Carney, a lot, oh, oh, Paul Newman. I mean, the list goes on and on. You can just name everybody all night here. Um, uh, who, who, what's his face? Just Eli Wallach, who just passed away recently. All these people who were the New York City actors, they all got their jobs doing live TV, almost teleplays, they would call them. Uh, you know, live, live in front of, sometimes not even in front of a studio audience, but uh, Dick Smith would do the makeup for these shows. And uh, they even cite, there's a story where um, he was doing something with Laurence Olivier and they tur- he turned the very good-looking and dashing Laurence Olivier into uh, a victim of leprosy. And Laurence Olivier looked into the mirror and saw his makeup. He said, you know, Dick, geez, this does the acting for me. I don't have to do anything. And then I guess he started putting his name on the map and then by the early 60s he, he kind of, uh, transferred into film a little bit and with his first uh, movie Requiem for a Heavyweight which is a personal favorite of mine the movie version uh, there was a teleplay it was written by Rod Serling and there was um, Jack Palance was in the TV version on Playhouse 90 and then they did the theatrical film with uh, Jackie Gleason Mickey Rooney and uh, Anthony Quinn. Quinn and he did the makeup effects for the aging boxer beat up punch truck uh, boxer and the makeup is still phenomenal. And he started to make a name of himself in the 60s. And then he got into all these movies that nowadays people know like, like it's nothing. And yeah. It, it, it's, it's interesting that he, uh, he had this huge career. And then people kind of don't really know who he is. And I don't know if that's because of age or because he stayed under the radar 
or uh, I, I guess with the with the era of CGI, maybe this is almost a forgotten art to a certain extent. I, I think it's probably a little bit of all those things. I mean, I think his heyday of uh, cinema makeup was the 70s, Yeah, really. I mean, he worked in the little in the 60s and he worked into the 80s. But really, like, his big streak are is, like, 70s movies. And 70s cinema is um, so realistic. I mean, yeah. even The Exorcist, which is a movie that he, he did the makeup for, is a very real representation of, of horror. And so... Uh, so I think it's like even though clearly makeup is in that movie, but he did uh, Marlon Brando's makeup and a lot of the bullet squibs and stuff for The Godfather. He did uh, the mohawk cap for tech, uh, for Taxi Driver on yeah. De Niro. And he worked in the, in the final shootout scene of that as well. He worked on all these things, but I feel like those are movies that don't, I mean with the exception of maybe The Exorcist, but they're not like really highlighting no. It's kind of like the magic of it is that it's almost invisible what yeah. he was doing. I think, yeah, I think certainly with the kind of uh, crashing of the studio system in the 60s, and then you had like the, they got rid of the Hayes Code, and then it was all about the ultraviolence, and you had like Sam Peckinpah or people like Bonnie, movies like Bonnie and Clyde, and then people wanted the realism. So you get into the 70s where there's that new kind of, well, I don't know if you want to call that the last great hurrah of the new uh, directors like you know, like we said before, the Coppola. Well, it's just that uh, it's, it's that film school. They call it the film yeah. school generation. And they the came first, out with those. The first group of filmmakers that actually went to school for film, um, and you know, and now films. You know, now thousands of kids graduate from film school. But when initially, like NYU, USC, UCLA. I mean, it was like 10 kids. Yeah. There wasn't a lot going on. <laughs> and that was like, and those were like the only three schools in the country. And it's interesting because it seems like, I don't know, if, you think they had more of a chance back then, those guys coming out of film school? I mean, you, you, it seems like a lot of them like Spielberg or um, De Palma, they, they almost immediately got work, you know, George Lucas and stuff, doing like TV movies. Yeah. And uh, well, I think episode, episodic stuff. You, you know, know, we could, you could, discuss that forever I mean I do think that there are certain things there's so less competition yeah. um, the less saturation of on the market of things I mean like yes when you when we go if you go to a screening of of something with a with a director like John Carpenter or you see a Q&A with working directors they talk about how yes today the technology has made it it's such a great time for filmmakers cuz you can anybody can do it but at the same time with everybody doing it how do you get ahead of the crowd i mean back then you know when uh you, you had very few places where young filmmakers were thriving and and uh Roger Corman you know helped a oh, lot of, of these course, filmmakers yeah. that was almost out. like a film school in itself uh, but, so yeah, I mean, I think it might have been easier back then. I mean, who knows? Um, but as far as a guy like, uh, you know, Dick Smith, I mean, it was an art form that not too many people were specialized in. I mean, there are, yes, there are some, but how many names before uh, Rick Baker yeah. and Stan Winston do you think the common, the casual film fan might know. I don't think anybody. I mean, even 
prior to Dick Smith, aside from Universal Horror, they had Jack Pierce who kind of pioneered stuff. Yeah. And you and had a Ray you know, Harry. Bella Lugosi. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know. I mean, not Bella Lugosi, Lon Chaney. Yeah, Lon Chaney Sr. It seems like there was the era after Jack Pierce where the 50s with the hammer into the 60s where makeup was done, but it really wasn't very good, I don't think, to a certain extent. And then Dick Smith comes and there's this perfect storm in the 70s where you want more realism, but the realism makes it, uh, to a certain extent, much more graphic, but yeah. much more unnoticeable to certain extents where he's aging, he ages Dustin it, Hoffman and Little Big I Man. I do or, think that, that that's an interesting aspect of his career. Like, we think of a guy like, you know, we keep on breaking up a name, but he was def- almost definitely like a direct protege of Dick Smith, uh, Rick Baker. We think of a guy like that and his specialty is things like primates. Yeah. Um, you know, and he he did uh, the 70s uh, King Kong. And American Werewolf in Mer- London. Uh, he did American Werewolf in London, but he also did things like Harry and the Hendersons. But he he's a guy that became no known for, like, yeah. for, like, ape stuff. Yeah. Uh, Schlock, uh, the John Landis movie, which was, like, his first big thing. He became kind of known for this, whereas Dick Smith... Is kind of known for aging makeup. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you really look at the the extent of his work, uh, um, aging uh, David Bowie in The Hunger, vampire, aging Marlon yeah. Brando, aging Dustin Hoffman and a little big man. Um, that's um, really seemed to be like his. Amadeus. He won uh, an Oscar for for aging that gentleman in Amadeus. He. Uh, uh, Max von Sydow in The Exorcist. Max von Sydow had trouble getting work for the next ten years because. Producers thought he was actually that age. Yeah, right. Really. So expected priest. him to be like an old yeah, actor. And, but and it's was, interesting that he did that so well. And it was, you know, uh, but he also pioneered uh, certain effects. Like uh, his his formula for blood is still used today. And that's like a huge, huge thing of how, how he, you know, corn starch versus corn syrup or whatever. Yeah. And he made this realistic blood, which would look realistic on camera because it could be very different, say, stage blood. Yeah. To, to, to modern day, to how it looks in, to the eye as opposed to how it, it's photographed and then looks on film. And certainly, I think, in the 60s and 70s, uh, certainly with some of that 3M blood, I mean, it, it photographs very bad. You yeah, get that yeah. over red, you know, like that's like the original uh, Dawn of the Dead or some of that where it's just, or the Hammer movies where it's just so red. Yeah, it's or, orange almost. Yeah, and, 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 and you can almost say, oh, this is a 70s movie because of how bad the blood looks. Yeah. You know, and then he another thing he did was the uh, the foam latex pioneering. Yeah, he he seemed to be uh, one with the the appliances. I mean, there were appliances beforehand, um, but it seemed that for the most part, people were trying to put like whole faces on an actor, whereas he kind of discovered that if you split it into th- if you split the three the face into three sections, put three separate appliances, you can allow the actor. Uh, to emote more, uh, so he was really a pioneer in that. He might have also pioneered the bl- the bladder underneath. Oh yeah, for certain, for like for the for the for the effects of like for say like, altered states for like a William, transformation. William Hurt and um, where, where that's where Rick, I guess Rick Baker gets for Rick Baker uses it a lot, especially in American Werewolf in London. Yeah. The transformation. He might. I'm pretty sure that Dick Smith might have kind of pioneered that aspect of it too. Yeah. I mean, he really was. You know, there are guys beforehand, and then you have things, and, and, and uh, I, unfortunately, I don't recall uh, the makeup effects uh, team's names and stuff for, like, um, Planet of the Apes and stuff. But there obviously, there were makeup 
that's happening. But he's really, but Dick Smith was really like the father of modern makeup effects. I mean, now, I mean, there are still, uh, with guys like Greg Nicotero and and the other guys that formed K and B with him and so stuff. So Joe Blasco. I Joe, Joe Blasco, who you know did, uh, it was of the seventies and he did uh, a whole bunch of crap. Cronenberg's first movie. Um, Blasco. Yeah. Uh, uh, crew, the brute, not the brute. The one before that. No, it's the very first one. Uh, the, the, I can't the, believe I can't remember. Yeah, you're you're a huge Cronenberg. Yeah. It happens to me all the time. I can't remember. Oh, not uh, the not the uh, operating table one, or the one where the um. Where no, the, not Rabbit. It's the no. one, it's the very first one with the in the apartment building. Shivers. Yeah, sh- shivers. Um, nowadays, I mean, it's still being used. I mean, we see it every week on you know Walking Dead or whatever. But I mean, all this kind of points to uh, one guy. And one thing that I always found uh, really cool about Dick Smith is it. It always seemed. It seemed, if you read up on the subject of of the history of makeup effects, it seemed that artists were very secretive. It was almost like a magician. Well, not- look at look at like um, that goes to the point with um, uh, Lon Chaney Senior. Like he did his own makeup, and it yeah. was, and people were like, "He's a chameleon. He's the man of a thousand faces." And it was, but right. it was like a magician, no. like hiding his his tricks and, because you, you wanted to get work. But, but apparently, Dick Smith was like totally open. You could like, if you were a makeup effects guy, you could like write him a letter yeah, as to like, "I'm trying to do this." Uh, how would you do it? Or you did a similar thing in this project. How did you do it? And he kept like files. Like physical files of, of how, how he did things, and he would, you know, send them to you, send you copies, or allow you to see them. I think that was a huge uh, factor in why he was so, I guess, successful, and people regarded him so highly because he wasn't at all stingy. He would help people. You know, he he was the first one to if he if he figured out how to do something like you're saying, where they he segued out of just a huge rubber mask to go into using foam latex into three pieces for like the forehead, cheeks, and maybe chin. The actor can breathe better because um, the skin can breathe through the foam latex, so it acts like skin. The, 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 the actor can, can certainly uh, show more emotion. And uh, it works so well, then he goes and tells everybody. He doesn't just keep it to himself. He's like, hey, this is my formula for my blood. Here's how I do this. And he's one of the first people as well. Uh, I think they cite maybe maybe the, the original Godfather where he's doing the squib effects on the physical skin you never really saw prior yeah. to that like a bullet hole going into the forehead and then blood flying out or even an exit wound with like a, either blood matter on the wall or I mean you take uh, the, the climactic shootout in Taxi Driver that very interior yeah. air that is just amazing the, 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 what happens in that and I think that was why the movie a lot of those 70s movies are so brutal or violent or so uh, memorable is because of those shocking which is now to us commonplace but back then to see something like you know Al Pacino come out as Michael Corleone blow uh, Sterling Hayden's neck and head off and Al Latari's head off that's with a mist of uh, brain matter in the background that's freaking or or James Caan James Caan's death sequence where he he had well when you see the you know you see like behind the scenes photos and stuff of of that happening or it's something like whole movie stuff you you see like the it's just know, it's the really, fishing line yeah he would, he would he would do is he would just he would just take a like almost the equivalent of like a button you'd have on your coat and he and he'd hide that with with you know some putty yeah like on the skin wax or something yeah and it looks like regular skin and underneath and then he'd have a fishing line connected to it 
And then when they hit action, he just pull it out, and it looks like bang, you got a bullet hole, and there's blood underneath. That was so. I mean, it's it's so elementary. It's a simple but it's effect. So, it's one that's now been used thousands of times. You know, thousands of times. You know, working on. Uh, I was just relaying this story to somebody in relation to Dick Smith and when we were making my senior film and we were trying to do the effect of... We had an effect where somebody had a surgical incision and uh, you, I had hired you <laughs> to do that. Hey, the, I thought I did a good job. No, you did a great job. But there was, there was, this, there was a, this long process where we'd be shooting and you'd be coming to me with kind of samples and be like, is this what, you, is this what you're looking for? And you were trying all these different materials. And then we're, we're about to shoot the big reveal of this wound. And we're sitting in my kitchen because we're shooting it in my bathroom. And we're sitting in my kitchen and we're trying things. the guy's taking the, he's, it's the first time he's taking the band-aid yeah, off. Yeah, and we see that, that he has this, this, this wound, which is a stitched incision from, from like an operation. And I had it, you know, probably not like an actual anything like an actual wound would actually look like. It was more of like something from Frankenstein yeah, or something. Yeah. I wanted to see like black stitches. Yeah, nothing. And an, and an incision. <laughs> nothing that looked like they would eventually just like, you know, what do you call that? Melt away or, you know, or dissolve after yeah, a Yeah, I mean, weeks. nowadays it would be, I don't know, staples or, yeah. you know, whatever. Like some kind Yours of... Yours was like a battlefield. Yeah. <laughs> it was done like on But the I wanted it to be, you know, it wanted it to read. Yeah. And we're sitting there, and you you had bought this liquid stuff, and we were just it was just nothing was kind of looking right, and because I didn't really know how to do it, I didn't really know how to describe to you what to do. But then we're sitting there, and we're trying stuff, and you had bought this makeup kit, and we're going through it, and we're trying stuff on the actor, and the actor starts talking about how he worked on this movie, this other movie where they took putty, and he said it was like putty that you stick like a poster on the wall oh. from, and they did that that button like bullet hole effect where they hid the bu- the button underneath this putty and then they could put makeup over the putty so that you didn't see it. It blends into the skin. And then they pulled it out and then like you and I just like looked at each other and she was like the light bulb went off and you had this little, in your makeup kit was this little thing of like flesh covered putty. Yeah. And so we, put, we spread it out over the actor's, uh, you know, abdomen where it was and then we made, we kind of like sculpted a slit in it and then like, you know, like we were punching hair into like a fake head, like strand by strand. We put each stitch in, cutting it, and we kind of. But it was, it was like that. Someone describing how something was done that was a Dick Smith effect that both of us knew. Yeah, we grew that up effect. on that. I think we knew the effect prior to even knowing who Dick Smith was. Yeah, but we, but it was the kind of thing that. It just took somebody to remind us, like, oh, that's like how, we're that's... like we're thinking about this too much. Yeah. It's always the simplest answers that is the, usually the logical. <laughs> and I and I and I love how it came out. I yeah. mean, I remember when we screened the dailies in class. We had a, a friend of ours, Marissa, was like, "How did you do that?" Like, hello, looks, baby. Like, it looks real. I, and I remember when you screened it for the. Uh, we had the screening at the end of the year for like the film festival. I remember people were like, oh, you know, in, in the in the uh, the shower sequence where he's like, you know, where he's he's doing some stuff with it yeah, and he has yeah. a scissor and he's trying to maybe take the scissors out himself. I don't want to give too much away. <laughs> Spoilers. Of, of, of Orifice, Blake's senior film. Um, but, uh, which was kind of an homage to uh, who you, you're a big fan of yours, uh, David Cronenberg. Yeah, it was kind of a, my my love letter to David Cronenberg. So to the point where you even actually met him a couple of years later and you slipped yeah. it the VHS. And I, and I slipped it to him, yeah. VHS, go watch this. <laughs> you're going to like it. Uh but it was kind of that was a, a Dick Smithian. That kind was of a, a di- indirectly. It was a very Dick Smith like inspired effect. The way we pulled it off. It's interesting because I remember 
when I got into high school and you know, I, was, I wanted to, uh, decided I wanted to go to film school, I kind of knew all my life. I wanted to act, I wanted to direct. Film school was the way for me. And then, you know, we get into the horror movies. And then at the time, they had some television like uh, shows that would, you know, uh, there was that one, what was the movie? Movie Magic was one show. Yeah. Uh, I think Discovery Channel or whatever. And there was another one. That, and, and so I became aware of watching these horror movies of, say, guys like Tom Savini. Like yeah. the, the, the king of splatter, they'd call him in the 70s or in the 80s because of the uh, mile or the groundbreaking horror movies he worked on. Yeah. And then Dawn of the Dead, Friday the 13th, the original, yeah, Day uh, of the Dead. Creep Show, uh, uh, what's the, he, he did um, Day, Day of the Dead, he did, uh, what's the one, Two Evil Eyes. Uh, he became an actor. He's Prowler, in, he's class. in Prowler, The Burning. <laughs> Maniac. You know, one Maniac, we, we love. We love as well. He was going to work on the original Night of the Living Dead, the 68, but he, he was in the Vietnam, so he couldn't. But he, he's basically had a very uh, close relationship with, with George Romero. And he, and he was a direct... Uh, well, that's yeah, exactly. He he's one of the first people who who says it's all Dick Smith. Yeah, Dick Smith gave he, this to me. he says all Dick Smith, and then he also, in turn, uh, Greg Nicotero was a protege of uh, Tom Savini. Guys like that, Kenny Berger. Uh, all, on, I think what, when when they, Savini did he re, when he directed the remake of Night of the Living Dead, nineteen ninety. Well, they worked on Day of the Dead. Yes. And oh, that's that's an interesting story for people who this kid. Went to school to be a lawyer, right? And then he and he ta- in his off time he, he went to Florida to do Day of the Dead, and then he came back to his dad. He's like, I'm not. Yeah, well, it's actually <laughs> even crazier of a story. Uh, to keep it kind of short because we're not here to talk about Greg Nicotero, but Greg Nicotero was from Pittsburgh. Yeah, which is where Savini, Romero, and that school of you know in love from. with horror movies and and all that stuff. Night of the Living Dead. He's on. Family vacation. Oh yes, in Italy. Yeah, and they go to like the Ristorante Alfredo, where like Alfredo sauce was created. Yeah, they go to a restaurant. It's sitting at the table next to them. He, he's like with his brother and his mom and his dad sitting at the table next to them was George Romero. And it's it's interesting because for people who know the chronology. It's because Romero was over there hanging out with... Um, Dario, Argento. Dario Argento. And writing Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, the, the 75 or 6 version, whatever year that came out. The original Dawn of the Dead. And yeah. Dario was like, if you make this zombie movie, <laughs> I will show it to the world. You know, yeah, so. Dario was uh, was like the overseas producer of it. And he convinced Romero to come to Italy, stay at his house, and write it. So he's in Italy writing Dawn of the Dead. He's sitting, eating dinner next to this family from Pittsburgh... They start talking, Small freaking world. And, and he says, "You know, we're, and we're going to make this movie. And when we make it, we'll be making it in at, Pittsburgh, the in Monroe Pittsburgh, Mall. at the Monroeville Mall. We all Mall. know. Shout out to the Monroe Mall, <laughs> Monroeville Mall. And so you should come out and hang out. Yeah. So he went, uh, hung out as a teenager, and ended up like hanging out with Tom Savini it, with, with, the, with yeah. the with the makeup team." Kind of learning that stuff, and then when they went, and then a couple years later, when they went to make Day of the Dead, he was asked if he wanted to come work on it, and that's where he met Kenny Berger, and uh, you know all those guys, and they were all like, "We're going to L.A. to make makeup effects." So he had to go to his dad and tell his dad, "I'm not going back to college." Because he's going to be a lawyer. So who yeah. knows how much money his dad already freaking <laughs> dished out for the? Point I'm going to go to I'm going to go to California to be a makeup. And his dad wasn't artist. happy. I think at the time. I mean, he, it was one of those things where it's okay, do what you want, but I don't think he was like, "Sure, son." Yeah, I don't think he was thrilled yeah. about it. But, but now, but, rest is history because now he's kind of like he's directing and yeah. an executive producer on Walking Dead and like the most like 
you know, and it's popular all, show on television. And I think, you know, he did the, uh, like I said, the remake of Night of the Living Dead. He might have even done the from Dust Till Dawn. You know that Savini's actually in it. He's in. I don't know if Savini did. No, the but I think from, these guys. Oh, they can be definitely. They can be did. Yeah. Uh, the, the they did Army of Darkness, but they worked under somebody. All those guys worked on Evil Dead Two, even though they hadn't formed their own company yet. Um, th- those guys basically, if there had been makeup effects since like the mid '80s to early '90s, can be probably had something to do with it. And it's all spanning out of that. Just a couple of generations from Dick Smith. And we're going to, you know, but I think if we're going to talk about Dick Smith, I think we should talk about like some of his like crowning achievements. Well, let's, I guess since we, we, we should mention, I guess what he's done. I mean, he started We've, out, we said, we, we named a couple, the big ones, uh, you know, he, he started out doing uh Requiem for a heavyweight. And then he, he, he did Mark Twain tonight, where which I've seen live. Hal Holbrook is still kicking around as Mark Twain. Still doing that. He did the the nineteen sixty seven version that was on TV that you could still get, and that that was very groundbreaking. He won an Emmy for that. Hal Holbrook is in his late eighties and early nineties, and I saw him last April two thousand thirteen doing it. Amazing. Still brings a tear to your eye. We were like front row, my wife and I. We saw him up yeah. in um, Terrytown. Great show. But he did that. He did Dark Shadows. And then we get into the seventies. He did Midnight Cowboy. He did. House of Dark Shadows, which was the, the theatrical movie version of Dark Shadows. Little Big Man, The Godfather, Exorcist, Godfather 2, Stepford Wise, The Sh- Sunshine Boys, Taxi Driver, Marathon Man, Exorcist 2, The Heretic, uh, Deer Hunter, Altered States, Scanners, Nighthawks, big fan of our, a big <laughs> one for us. Shout out for uh, Nighthawks. Ghost Story, The Hunger, uh, he did Amadeus, where he won his uh, Oscar on, Starman. Uh, Poltergeist uh, 3 and then we get into the to, he did Dark, Tales from the Dark Side the movie and then he starts kind of winding down in the 90s and in the 90s he does Monsters and then he kind of does Forever Young and Death Becomes Her as well Yeah. and then before uh, his kind of last pseudo credit is the 1999 version of House on Haunted Hill the William Castle remake so and then that's just a uh, a list. There's thousands of others that you find out. Oh, Dick Smith was connected to this movie yeah, or yeah. that movie. You Whether know? he's a consultant or he worked on it. I mean, but I think for the most part, I think it, his crowning achievement is The Exorcist. It's got to be. I, I mean, mean I, Linda Blair's effects. That's where we see the the bladder. Where's the writing on her stomach? You know, um, the, the pea soup effect, which was at the time that her head spinning, all the animatronics. We also was a big pioneer in kind of m- melding. Uh, combining different aspects of effects because um, there was a physical physical when you're you know the makeup effects guy doesn't always do everything especially back then there was a physical effects guy so there is someone that created the spinning head doll like for the, instance the, 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 aside from you mean aside from the makeup that actually goes on somebody's face it's yeah the, there's somebody the that doing the, the there's the, someone that straps you know Linda Blair into the yeah, the bed there's someone. The bed yeah, there's someone that moves the bed, and there's there's a department that's moving the furniture. There's other effects that are not makeup related. Yeah. But then Dick Smith is one of the first guys to say, okay, like if you can make the spinning head thing, he's like, I'll make the you know, like I'll make it up, like I'll put the I'll put Linda Blair's face on it. I mean, can you? It's it's amazing that he's he's. I mean, it goes back I, I, almost to me to like to Lon Chaney Sr. And just, just to think of, if you look at Lon Chaney Sr. and a lot of people, 
don't know a lot about Lon Chaney Sr., there is a phenomenal documentary that I recommend that was done, I think, for Turner Classic Movies that Kenneth Branagh narrates that's available on the Lon Chaney box set, and it's on the same disc as The Man Who Laughs, I think it is. Uh, and it's amazing. And they talk about how this guy just showed up one day with a tackle box and would do all his own special effects. And it's like guys like that who just are so pioneering where, you know, they, they figure out how to use wiring to, to, to make your you know, your yeah, eyeballs. Yeah. I mean, and it was like nose. he would like physically painful for a lot of the stuff. Yeah, that he he'd did. be like in contortions. And then you kind of have Jack Pierce in the early 30s doing that to his poor hapless victims, Boris Karloff, who like to this day, to the day he died, had... <laughs> back problems and scars from the bolts but see jack pierce seemed to me from what you hear is more like just shut the fuck up and deal with it you know if you want this to look good i'm gonna do it and was kind of like a not a hard ass but you know just shut up and let me do it and he'd you know he'd be putting these people in contraptions because that was the time it was restricting you only had say rubber yeah so you'd have a rubber outfit you'd have a mask on and you'd be there for like 10 14 hours and then you'd have to go do your scene and come back and it was very painful but then as Dick came around, Dick was like, you know, starting to use all those aspects, but he kind of like made it, I guess, modernized it to a certain extent and made yeah. it like, you know, like you said, it's, it's the art there is really the concealment of the effect. Yeah. Which you don't really, you know. Well, I mean, his, most of his greatest effects are the ones that's like, to be honest, like, you know, you and I grew up, uh, you know, obviously not in the seventies, but. Uh, when we were growing up before we went to college and stuff, we were very into like that film school generation, 70s cinema. And, you know, had you told me like when I was like 16 that like De Niro didn't shave his head for Taxi Driver and that somebody put a bald cap on him? I wonder what the issue was at the time, that why De Niro couldn't shave his head. Maybe they had to shoot out of order, maybe he hadn't, who knows, but... It does. It's fucking great because you see like the stubble. Yeah. To this day, I, to this recording, actually, I've forgotten that he. It was a. It was a bald cap. So I watched that last summer, and that's mind blowing to think that that is actually. You know, you watch. You see the bald caps on, say, like uh, comedic television for like Saturday Night Live or something. <laughs> yeah. They look horrible. I mean, nine times out of ten, you're going to be able to say that's a bald cap, and for him to wear a bald cap like that. It, 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 and, and all the other effects that are in that movie, you know, him blowing the hand off, yeah, uh, with the forty-four magnum, him with the the hand on the, the the gun that's concealed on his arm that he he unloads the clip into that guy's face, and just uh, it, it's just mind blowing that he's able to do that kind of stuff. But I do agree with you that I think probably his, I guess his one crowning achievement would be The Exorcist, and then other people credit. The Godfather of him aging Marlon Brando. Yeah, I mean, people were like, "Look, how the hell are they going? How the hell is he going to do that?" And then you know, I mean, sure. I mean, they did a lot of great work, but I, also The Exorcist is like the easiest one to point to. Oh, of course. You know, it is Still the easiest one. Um, you know, to take this, and you can see like in in uh, behind the scenes documentary type things, you can see like the different. Uh, like models that he made to try to figure out how he was going to do it. And you can see like his thought process and his progression to getting to like, he to finally settling on like something that was more realistic. Like what if she was doing this to herself instead of being like a furrowed brow, you know, like what would you would think is, is stereotypically done as like being evil or, or angry or something. Um, just a completely amazing effect. And like you said, the Max von Sydow, 
some makeup in it is you know people didn't even know i mean no, he no. was like a, a swedish or german actor yeah, he, was, he was working with ingmar, ingmar bergman for but he years. came to america and wasn't even known of him in america and people thought that he was like this old yeah, guy playing the, uh, but he was young he was still fairly young when he did that I, I part. he was in his late 30s or early 40s i mean he's another of those guys that doesn't seem to be aging you know he's still you know um just a really like just i mean uh, aside from that it's just a fa- like a fantastic piece of cinema in general like you could almost argue that like it wouldn't have been the, it did it, it, it not even an argument i mean it wouldn't have been the same movie not without if, that if makeup the whole, if the if the special effects didn't hold up i don't think it would have been nearly if, if they if they were you know if it did i mean to think this is like three four years before say dawn of the dead and dawn of the dead is a much lower budget and a much more um flamboyant in the use of yeah but also like uh shock of the splatter but it's just it's it's going for so so uh, so much bigger of a scale with so many extras and stuff i mean even though you know uh exorcist probably has like at least twice if not more the budget yeah. something like Dawn of the Dead had and but Exorcist is a very small film um, in comparison to Dawn of the Dead which is a shopping mall with hundreds of zombies and stuff I mean but you look at that and it's a very different kind of uh, makeup a very different kind of effect that they were going for but in a way it's kind of shocking to see like something that Dick Smith did I mean, granted, like we settled with a lot more money and probably time and stuff, but you know some of the really poor zombies that are in Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, I I don't know. It seems, I, I, and I'm not knocking Tom. Yeah, Zabini. we don't. Like I said, it was Zabini, he had he had a lot on his plate with yeah, Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, it seems like a lot of that some of that stuff hasn't aged very well. And you and I are huge fans of Tom Savini yeah, and, yeah. and George Romero and Dawn of the Dead, so we're certainly not disparaging it. But some of the 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 blood and as well as the just the zombie colors yeah. didn't really transcend translate very well to cinema so we don't know maybe just they lost that that role when they went to develop it the tests <laughs> but you know? I mean I would put up the Exorcist makeup against almost anything I think well that's a, that's the thing a lot of things nowadays that are um, that are now completely done by CGI these bullet bullet hits uh, you know the the uh, the exit wounds with the splatter or that you see so much now in Walking Dead where it's all CGI. Yeah, yeah. You know, and even just normal things were, was all stuff that, that Tom, Tom Savini, sorry, Dick Smith did. And they all, for the majority of them, they all really hold up until this day. I mean, yeah. I think his work in The Godfather holds up, Little Big Man, uh, certainly, you know, uh, aging David Bowie to, to like a 125-year-old vampire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and even just the little things you don't know that he worked on. And Alder States is a fucking crazy movie. Yeah, um, that's another use of of him using the uh, the the the, uh, the bladders. The bladders, the skin. but there's there's a lot going on in that movie. Um, and scanners, he blew a head up in scanners. Then he blew was it uh, Michael Ironside's head up? <laughs> there's some great effects. A lot of bladder work in in scanners. Um, he the transformation in Starman. Yeah. Um, for the longest time, I haven't been there in years, and it's since moved locations. But the first time I went to. Uh, the Museum of the Moving Image in Queens, um, they used to have uh, the display of, like, the steps of the, the Dick Smith's, like, models, 
like going through the transformation of Starman. So I actually got to you get to see. That's amazing. To see, I, I hope they still have those. I, um, I hope so. I went there a couple years ago and they had the Muppets exhibit. I don't know if I saw that. I might have very well and just not. You know, took this it in. was you know before that. This is before they moved. I mean, now they're doing a great Chuck Jones thing, and that'll have to be a whole nother cast yeah, cause, oh, because we could yeah. talk about Chuck Jones forever. Uh, he and Dick put out a very very quintessential uh, book in 1965 called Dick Smith's Do-It-Yourself Monster Makeup Handbook, which is still, I think, in print today. And I mean, it's probably like what was the Bible for guys from that specific generation of I guys know. like... Uh, Stan Winston, Stan, Dick Baker, Stan, Rick, Rick Baker, and uh, Savini. Even the, you know, the Star Wars guys, yeah. I mean, Phil Tippett. But the, 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 the really awesome thing about it is that it really helps. It's simple enough for like a kid. You can buy it, and it's, this, it's really designed for you at home to do... Because that it seems like there was a surge with the induction of the Super 8 movie camera yeah. or those people when they're little, they make fan films. Certainly, uh, you know, a generation of Star Wars knows what that is or Indiana sure. Jones. So people were trying to figure out, or even Halloween, you see these well, crazy I, movies. I, if I, I, I might be mistaken, but I think it was published as kind of a special edition to uh, Forrest J. Ackerman's uh, monsters oh, I film see. land as yeah. kind of like so you know that was the first magazine that really kind of took you know gave viewers a, a little glimpse behind the God curtain Forrest Ackerman he just passed away too not too long ago yeah well. not too long ago. I don't know what's going to happen to his estate uh, I hope it just doesn't get auctioned off um, but that magazine was very uh, instrumental in kind of letting was the real first time that you got to see kind of behind the scenes. Well, it's interesting. I think movies. it helped revo- revitalize maybe the horror and sort of sci-fi genre because it is certainly fatigued by the 50s. Hammer went big. And then Hammer kind of, and Roger Corman's kind of plucked themselves out by the mid to late 60s. They kind of, Corman's beca- became like absurd. They became like comedies. Yeah. As opposed to being straight like homages. And uh, b- right before you hit the 70s with the, I guess, the resurgence of George Romero's horror and then the Italian horror that took off in, in the Italian cinema, uh, you know, it kind of, Ackerman in that magazine helped people, the kids who were like, you know, who were watching yeah. all the Universal movies Definitely. on syndication on TV. It filled the, it filled the need. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, and it got all these young people who I guess would later become filmmakers. Um, or, guys like John Landis, uh, Joe Dante, yeah. Spielberg. Uh, Carpenter. Um, or, I mean, all these guys would, would tell you. I mean, you, I was watching something and... Um, I think there's a documentary on Netflix called Sci-Fi Boys, and it's about him, and it's about uh, Harryhausen, yeah. and it's about whole. But you know, these guys have, you know, they like Joe Dante, like wrote a letter. <laughs> you know, it's like these guys have letters that were printed in that magazine as when they were when they were young. Yeah, and, and it's yeah, and it's just it's amazing that it's a guy like this. You know, people just he's not widely known. He's just he's not like a. I mean, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think he was before, like we were talking about earlier, I think he's he's before the big wave of our generation of like, you know, you know, watching from Star Wars to Jedi, the making of a saga, or, you know, the big things for me, why I wanted to, you know, my, that really fueled my imagination with horror movies. I mean, with mo- with cinema in general, not just horror movies, were things like like Cinemax when... Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part f- f- Four, Five. I think it was Four. When part, Nightmare on Elm Street Part Four was like on Savini. Cinemax, they would 
air like a 20 minute to a half an hour making of that was yeah that was every once in a while yeah. and i watched that thing so many Corey times and, uh, and you get to see like uh uh you know uh a lot of the effects like freddie with the his chest open with the faces coming out of it um Oh, I'm sorry, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, yeah, you're thinking, Friday the 13th 4, I'm thinking, you said Nightmare on Elm Street. I said Nightmare on Elm Street, but yeah, I mean, you're, you, you know, when we met each other, you had that Savini book, and, um, you know, you were really uh, instrumental with your, with Savini of, like, turning me on to, like, of course I knew his, a lot of his work, but it was one of those things where, like, I didn't really put two and two together, like, I didn't really know who had done it. Well, it was a, it was a perfect storm for us, because when we, we, we met each other, first day of orientation freshman year we're living together and then it's kind of like you were leaning to we had the same backgrounds I mean we watched the same movies we had the same you know who, who else would have the best of Louis Priva <laughs> we both we, <laughs> we, had, both, we <laughs> both had similar CD collections and it's just like wow this is crazy and then it was kind of like you were leaning towards uh, you know horror movies and it was like us talking about Tom Savini and then certainly John Carpenter's thing I think that day I, I came back and I was like yo do you remember John Carpenter's The Thing? You're like, I think so. I'm like, I'm going to go buy it. We're going to go watch it. And that like opened the floodgates for you. And yeah, you yeah. It was own, like, it was, it was the thing. Rob Oteen's effects. Stan Winston kind of helped out on the dog effects. Um, that was, it was like, when we watched that movie, it was like, it was triggering like memories from when I had seen it years and years and years uh, before. Um, I mean, the magic of movies, it's, you know, now everybody and their fucking mother wants them to make a, make, make a movie. But, you know, it is the it is like kind of the beauty of it. I mean, it is kind of magical. Cinema is a magical thing. And uh, there are so many great pioneers in every aspect of it. I mean, the editing, you got people like Walter Murch and, um, you know, so many directors and so many great, you know, Bernard Herrmann, and then you get into the music of it. And uh, Dick Smith is a guy that really, like I said, he's kind of like the father of modern makeup effects. And everything that we see today from, uh, you know, Walking Dead to even things like Breaking Bad, you know, there if if there is any kind of practical makeup being used it's almost like a direct like pipeline descendant from everything that Dick Smith kind of kind of uh not that he started the art of making but the way he kind of uh streamlined it and and kind of really created recreated like you said earlier kind of like a uh the industry and and an art form and made it accessible to a lot of people well it's interesting that he did that he had a an idea where he made it he dumbed it down to a certain extent where he had a book out that kids could use yeah but it's also so sophisticated that you had people in the industry using it so now you look at anything like you're saying anything on tv like breaking bad or walking dead to the cinema to even just what kids can do now on halloween you can go to a store and you can buy you know foam latex appliances that you can put on your face to make yourself look like a zombie, Frankenstein, Terminator, and, all, yeah. and that's all all him, you know. Yeah, it, I mean, you, you know. go into a costume shop, and even at Halloween, not even, at, you know, Ricky's here in New York around Halloween has things, and you get you can get just like a, you know, like an evil brow, <laughs> you know, and all that is kind of, it's all because a, of direct, a direct, you know, a result of his work. Now, you and I, 
have a special connection to Dick's. Yeah, it's weird, and I don't. And, and, and it has taken us a while to get to. And it, I but think, I think I, we should I think talk about it. It's a story it. that needs to be told. I think it needs to get out there because it's it's so interesting. It's so not known because it's our story. <laughs> <laughs> because not too many people know it other than us. But it's but it's it's so weird, and I think I don't know. I feel like it plays into the Dick Smith lore. Um, as we said, you and I went to film school together. We went to film school together, and yes. I guess we, we figured this out. Our about, freshman year was 1997, spring, uh, fall of 97. So about our junior year, which was, I guess, the fall of 99, uh, we had, well, one of our teachers who, who, who we loved dearly, who passed away a couple of years ago, he was our writing teacher. Howard Enders. Yeah, he was a document documentarian, which was he was very successful. He was a writing teacher. He did uh, he did for us. He did. Uh, was he he was one of our first teachers. He did creative writing, uh, our first semester yeah. as freshmen, which we wrote short stories, and then our second semester we started writing um, screenplay form, but like scenes and stuff, and then. We had him again junior like a theory, year, right? Like it was kind of like a theory class or something, maybe just or just polishing, because then he eventually went and did just more fiction writing for yeah, for more like of literature, just like a creative writing for, for the college for, for not so specialized to the film uh, students. Purchase college, and he was older when we had him. You know, he was probably, I guess, maybe in his seventies, right? When we, uh, you know, he was uh, he had had. Um, at some point, he had had, like, a heart attack before yeah. us. And so, like, you know, he was a shadow of, <laughs> of the man he once was. But totally lovable. Like, yeah, great guy. He, um, he, was, he, he and I had a special Philly, Philadelphia connection. So was we he from all, Philly? Yeah, originally yeah. he was from Philadelphia. So he and I always had a, a special connection. Well, you know, even after he graduated yeah. and stuff, I would talk to him on the phone sometimes. I was going to say, he's, it's weird from our class... He, he kind of still had fond memories of you and I. He would yeah, still, because yeah. I talked to him once or twice, like, how's Blake? And I, you guys, I remember very well, were like, I guess it's, I don't want to say we're memorable, but uh, well, it's I, easy to forget a lot of people that, yeah, you know, after I think, how many years you of know, teaching. I think, especially the teachers that we had a great fondness for, I think we made more of an effort to uh, get to know them yeah. more personally. Um, Built a relationship, I guess, yeah. outside the class. Like I said, like we would talk to him on the phone. I yeah. would call him just to see how he shit. was doing. <laughs> well, he's, and he was a great guy. He was uh, a thin guy, sinewy. I mean, he was probably about 5'11", 5'12". Uh, you know, he looked like at one time he was like, you know, probably very in shape. I'm going to say probably like around the, like, uh, the Frank Vazetta kind of physique or, or, uh, or what's his name uh, uh, that we met recently, Joe... Um, Stefan, uh, what's his name? The the, the uh, oh, uh, <laughs> you mean the comic book yeah, artist? Yeah, Mike. Uh, well, what's his name? St- uh, Starenko. Starenko. You yeah. know, he's like that kind of a guy where he's just fit. He's Starenko does kind of remind me of Howard you know, a like, little bit. But like in that 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 league of Frank Vazetta, like you know, yeah. They're just, like I said, not... but by the time we had him, he had had something yeah, like so a heart. He, he, was he had old. had a sickness. You know, he had, he had, had a heart attack. And or I something. bet you he. He probably lived a life that indeed indulged in but, his vices. So we could go on about Howard forever. But so yeah, exactly. let's get <laughs> let's get around. So Howard was our writing teacher for a couple number of years. He had a close personal relationship. With somehow, somehow, it he like name dropped it like not even to be like I knew Dick Smith. He just dropped like his name like you know back. Dick, he just mentioned Dick Smith, and, and I think do you remember and why? I, I don't they, remember what the context no, of but the I mean, story I was. Saying, was. Well, what 
how he knew him in any kind of way? I believe he. Dick's, you been, so you Blake uh, Blake has a better memory than I do about it. Anyway. Yeah. How it happened? We were in class. Somehow Dick Smith's name came up. He had kind of said it, and I believe, to my recollection, you were the one that was like Dick Smith, like the makeup guy, Dick Smith. <laughs> well, and it's another thing that upsets me that you and I have talked about because uh, I don't think any—I don't know if anybody, the other, our fellow alumni, will listen to this cast. So I'll, I'll talk shit about him. <laughs> you and I were the only two people that really gave a shit. We were like, wait, I, like you said, I was like, wait a minute, and you're like, you know. And it was really the only two of us who were like, yeah. I think John Cribbs was in, was was like was yeah. interested in like Dick Smith, and maybe he, Aaron uh, Lynch. Uh, but it was like you were like you questioned him like Dick Smith the makeup guy. He's like yeah yeah, and I believe the relationship was that Howard and a previous wife. I don't know if it was. I don't know how many times he was married, but it was like Howard and his wife before the mar- the wife he had at that time were a couple friends with Dick Smith and his wife. Yeah, as you do. You know, so when, I guess when that relationship broke up, Howard and his wife got divorced, you know, Dick Smith and his, that couple, Dick Smith and his wife, were part of friends that he lost. Yeah, but he, but he also had some sort of falling out with them that I think was some sort of argument. Remember, because he was like, yeah, we, we don't talk anymore. Yeah. So after class... You know, you and I were quite friendly with him. I smoked at the time, so we'd go outside, and you know, he'd be outside. Did he smoke a pipe? Or he smoked like... a pipe. I, I had to define that. He gave me his pipe. Oh, there you go. That, that, that's Before... what you do for this cast, to go, <laughs> to go find his But He would come out, so we'd bullshit with him. And, then, and also, I don't want to say, again, I don't, it's not like saying stuff, but I felt like he was friends with us, so we would sh- shoot the shit with him. So as soon as class ended, or, or as soon as we broke to have like a laboratory break, we ran up to him, we're like, you know Dick Smith? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, well, what's going on? He's like, well, we don't talk anymore. And it sounded like they didn't talk for like, like 10, 15, 20 it years. It seemed like a long fucking time, you know? yeah. So uh, Jay Blake and I, being very selfish as we are, <laughs> we said, well, you know, you, you realize the opportunity here that we have where we could actually, you could, you know, uh, reconnect with him and he can come and give like a little presentation. Yeah, we basically were like, you should talk, you should rekindle that friendship. So that he can come and give you a should, And you should get him to come and talk to us. And, which he ended up doing. And then lo and behold, God bless Howard Enders, picks the phone up, rekindles the relationship with Dick Smith. And all, all based on our, our selfish nudging. Yeah, and then he, he tells us whatever it is, hey, one, I've rekindled the relationship with Dick Smith and I, Two, I talked to him about your idea. Three, he's agreed to it. Four, we have a date that he's he's agreed to come. So at the time, he must have been in the New York City area. Well, I, I, he lived most of his life in Larchmont. Yeah. So he oh did, did he he did he stay there as well? I guess. He was, I mean, you know, he went to school in Connecticut and stuff. But I think I read that he had lived most of his in life in Larch in, in the Larchmont area. So, and where we went to school was literally ten minutes away from Larchmont. So. He gives us a date, and we're like, holy fucking crap. Are we going to go into this, this whole other inuiting part of the story? Just, <laughs> Blake and I Blake and I are like, shit, it's up to us to publicize. Yeah, it. we're like, we got fucking Dick Smith Dick coming. Dick Smith is coming. To, you know, that's, see, it's, again, it's like people don't know who he is. Even back then, it's like, Dick fucking Smith is coming. It's like, you know, it's like You'd freaking, think we're in film school. Yeah. Somebody would have given a shit. Yeah, like Ozzy Osbourne is coming <laughs> to, you know, here. You know, it's just like some drown Billy Joel. It's like there's someone 
He's gonna be very influential. He's gonna so be on campus. We well, to make, we'll try to get through it quickly. We took it upon ourselves that we were gonna publicize the fuck as much as we it. could. Yeah. That Dick Smith was coming to our school to talk to the students. So we were gonna we made a flyer up and we were gonna. We go. made a flyer. I remember it was a picture. The flyer had picture had uh, two pictures. It had Linda Blair's doll with the head spun around yeah. sitting on the bed, and there was a picture of him working on Marlon Brando. Yeah, it's a very famous picture of him in the chair, Marlon Brando, and he's working on. And that was, a, and then we 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 put some letters. We I don't know how we did it. Maybe on somebody's computer we printed. Um, that yeah, we out. did it like in Word, <laughs> like Microsoft. Uh, I mean, it wasn't like a fancy schmancy thing. Uh, we realized we had to get to a Kinkos. To, we to, needed to make a trillion copies. Yeah, so and we didn't have a car on the campus at no, the time, so we well, borrowed one. We had access to a standard car. Uh, Jay Blake says, hey, you know what? I, ha- I know the principle of standard. <laughs> I've never driven a stick shaft. <laughs> but I, I, I know how it works. <laughs> but I, I understand the idea behind and it. And I said, you know what? Okay, that sounds better than me trying to drive it. So we went, we took the kid's car. We didn't tell him that. We took the kid's <laughs> car. <laughs> a little hatchback. It was like a, I think it was like a mid-80s hatchback. It was already on, on its way out. We took it to the adjoining parking lot. We drove it around the parking and lot. And then Blake... And did a horrible job at it. For about it, an hour right? and a half, Blake practiced in the parking lot, stopping, going, shifting. And Blake was good once he got out of got into first and out of first. Getting from 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 stop, from getting a stop into first, to, to, yeah. that, that clutch control was a little problem. We were stalling a lot. But I got it. But Blake got it. And, and, and we did it enough where we felt confident, okay, we're going to leave campus... Yeah. We're going to drive about 10 minutes into White Place White to get Plains. to the nearest Kinko's. To get to an all-night Kinko's, yeah. So we, we, got there, we got there fine. We went in there. We made us fucking shitload copies. It's yeah. starting to rain outside. It was starting to rain. We got into the car. We backed the car out. Car stalls. Uh, the only time it stalled, the whole time. The whole twice. drive. Did it stall twice? I remember just, I remember just the one. It stalled once. once. We, we backed it out. It stalls. And we're, we're on a one-way... Yeah, we're like going like the wrong way yeah, out of and, and, and there's a cop coming. <laughs> there's like a cop. So I'm like, yeah. shit, you know, of course we're not drinking, but still it looks like, you know, it's 12 o'clock at night. It's sketchy. You know? Yeah. So Blake gets it in the first. We go, we come to, to a light. The cop pulls up next to us. I don't think he was like really noticing us. And then when we hit, the light goes green, Blake stalled again. The cop went, I'm like, come on, let's go. And Buck under the pressure. Yeah. And then we, 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 we somehow got back to campus in that thing. That thing died like the next week. It or, was. We found out like he, the transmission fucking like fell out of it. <laughs> <laughs> so we have these signs, and we go and we publicize all over campus. We put these suckers up, and then Dick Smith comes and he gives, in my mind, uh, a brilliant colloquium, a brilliant presentation. Fantastic! He, not only does he come to talk, he brings slides. He brings slides. He's got stories. I think didn't he bring a couple even props? I mean, not not anything you know. really influential, but he brought some stuff. And I just remember being a little bit uh, not at not at all disappointed in Dick Smith, but being a little disappointed that like a lot of the people that we had class with didn't come to it. Like a lot of the people were there. It Our promotion worked in that a lot of people that were there were not film students. No, it was just people who were like, but hey, it was like a Dick lot Smith of the, is. but like a lot of film students didn't come. And I was, I just was really angry about that. I still am. I think that's, it's kind of like, what the fuck? You know, this guy's here. It's, it's this guy and it's the people. Well, it, well, see, it's a whole other cast, but it goes in kind of the, into the the column of hypocrisy that you and I kind of had about uh, you know film school and what was going on at the time. People yeah. try to be like pseudo intellectuals, or they you know they're not bothered or whatever, or maybe yeah, they don't yeah. even know. But Dick gives this I remember this great presentation. He's going through like remember each movie and each effect. And at the time, I remember he even showed 
a picture of a face that he had made for maybe like Ghost Story or some other movie that he didn't end up using, but he said was going to be coming in an upcoming movie, which was then going to be the remake of House on Haunted Hill. Yeah. Uh, which I was very excited about because I was a huge Vincent Price and, and um, William Castle fan. And he said, this this affects, you're going to see this in a couple months in the new House on Haunted Hill. I was like, holy yeah. shit. So he was showing a slide. So that's how we saw that. And then remember, this is a very other unique, interesting thing that I think a lot of people, if not uh, nobody really know except hardcore Dick Smith fans. He started talking about, I forgot why, but he had, remember he had to, I was going to say, the one thing I really pulled away yeah. from it is that he's, he was missing his ring finger. On, on, his w- on, on his left hand. Now, usually if you see somebody who's missing a finger, especially like a mid, like a, a finger in the middle, middle finger, there would be like a space. It's or very a, noticeable. Or a stub. You yeah. know, like you're missing that hand, like Jimmy Doohan, uh was missing a finger, and you can spot it in a yeah. couple of... He played Scott. Was, he, same thing he missed. He was you know, missing you see a spot, but what he did was... Dick Smith. What Dick Smith did was he had the... You know, your finger has the, the knuckles, and then the knuckle that connects to your hand is connected to a bone in your hand. And what he did was he had the doctors take that bone out. It's a, it's a brilliant... Out of his, like, the palm of his hand, take that complete bone out, and then sew his... Basically, sew the space... Shut. Yeah. So, yeah, from, like middle his, finger to his pinky finger. So, when, from his middle finger right over to his mini his... Uh, pinky finger, and it—if you wouldn't even notice it unless he. And then he showed it, and he was like, had like a. It was like a. It was like a Bond villain reveal. Yeah, it was, it was like. like <laughs> he shows it. It was like, like you know. It looks like a Simpsons. It was like in the hand of you know for like Total oh. Recall. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah where they're putting the thing. Yeah, he, he picks his hand up, and you're like, holy shit, he's only got three fingers. He's got you know he's got the thumb, and then he's just got three fingers. But it does. It looked completely normal. Yeah. Because it didn't have that space. And that, that is also, I hear, see, I heard a story recently reading up, J.J. Abrams saw him uh, a couple of years ago in an airport. And he said, oh my gosh, I think that's Dick Smith uh, by the baggage carousel retrieving. He goes, how do I know if that's Dick Smith? Let me go look at the hand. So he creeped around and he saw the hand was missing the finger. And he's like, it is Dick Smith. How are you, sir? Blah, blah, blah. But I remember him being, he, it really was like a couple hours. He... We had questions. He took time, answered everybody's questions. He was amazing. He brought slides. At the end of the, the thing, we went up. We, we shook his hand. For some fucking reason, we took no pictures, you and I. <laughs> I don't I think, you know, I think we were just so stressed with getting the thing done and having yeah, it yeah. I mean, sure he was all right. We felt, that, we felt the responsibility. Which I think it kind of was because yeah. we're the one who, who we, we brought it up. We talked about it. We got it done. We, we rekindled this friendship. We wanted to make sure he was all right. I mean, it was short of almost getting him a hotel room. Yeah, yeah. But, like, you know, he was good. We said hi. Uh, I think Howard even gave us credit. These are the two guys that got this thing happening. We shook hands. We spoke briefly with it. And then I remember the two of them walking out together. Of the, of the We were in the choral hall, which yeah. was kind of like a... It was kind of like a recital hall where there's, like, a, uh, a lecture area on the bottom. It was kind of like a stadium seating where they could either show movies like they or slides or have, like, a performance... I remember they were walking out. You and I were standing there, and they looked like fucking twin brothers. Yeah, yeah. The they both had like sports jackets on, and like a and like a dark um, Steve McQueen style turtleneck. <laughs> yeah, they're both doing the you know, turtleneck like sweater. <laughs> and they walked out together, and literally Gray from the hair. back, it was interchangeable. You couldn't yeah. tell who was who, and I really like brought a tear to mind. As I'm, it's really getting me emotional now. Like we were like, that's fucking great. We got them back together, and they were going to go out to dinner, and then it, 
So it, the film department takes them out to dinner. But you didn't tell me, I didn't realize until we were talking about this, that it really still irks you that we weren't invited. And yeah, you know, yeah. I think about it now, like, you're right. It was like Iris, you know, the film faculty took yeah, him out ways. to dinner. They kind of kicked us to the side. All right, kids, go out, play with your toys. We're going to yeah, come Yeah, they didn't invite us somewhere. It was like the whole fucking reason why he was there was because of us. So the faculty takes him out to dinner. And, we and what's find, the punchline? <laughs> the punchline is we find out that like at dinner or after dinner or before <laughs> dinner, somewhere, somewhere something went wrong. And I believe Dick Smith was hounding Howard about the directions to camp, to how to get to campus or was how it, to, was or, it that or how to get back to his house or some shit. Howard gave him directions and the Smith guy got lost or something and fucking was it was <laughs> and we we single-handedly, you know, rekindled this friendship that had died out, you know, years and, ago. <laughs> years and years ago and then in one foul swoop like some petty argument about directions or something caused happened, another rift. Caused a rift, and I don't. Th- I don't think they were friends after that. Yeah, they had another. They had, a, they had another <laughs> falling out, and that was the end of it. And then, I mean, as far as we, as as far as when we graduated, you know, I mean, the last thing, you know, Howard, I don't know, Howard probably passed away about five years ago. Yeah, two thousand seven, six, seven, eight. Really sad. And I, uh, but yeah. yeah, it was like we got them back together for one night. <laughs> got the band back together for one last performance. You know, and like the same, sh- but the whatever caused the problem in the first place just could not be mended, and uh, uh, it was one one glorious night for us. But uh, unfortunately, I, you know, and, and you know, we and we didn't videotape it. You know, it sounds this sounds like the stories like your parents tell us. Like my dad always has this brilliant story where he met um, the year before he died, Billy Martin, the old coach of the Yankees, and yeah. it was one of these things where he forgot the camera that night, or he. Met Frank Sinatra, and and you know they didn't take the lens cap off, and it's like it's one of those nights for us where it's like, for some reason we were we were film students, <laughs> where we we had I had a video camera, you had a video. We could have shot it on sixteen millimeter film. We could have we could have we could have had a nog where we could have sank that bitch up, and we could have had a short film that probably would probably be now a cult classic on the internet. Or be a special feature on a movie somewhere, yeah. and we could have got paid. But instead, we didn't even. Th- I think it was just we were so right. stressed. So, yeah, I think it was to make sure that like he said we wanted to. We felt us. We, we felt a kind of a responsibility to have it go well the best we could. And we were. We had a lot of anxiety and I think that we people were, weren't there. And we were. Yeah, we were upset that people weren't there, and at the same time, I think we wanted to kind of enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, the best we could. I mean, a camera would have been cool just to get our pictures with them, but we didn't. And uh, yeah, Howard sadly passed away in two thousand six, seven, eight, and then uh, Dick passed away last week. So it's real sad. Uh, I I think Blake agrees with me where we wholeheartedly suggest anybody listening to please go do some research, go check out Dick Smith. Uh, we know if you found this cast, you've already seen his movies. You know, so it's just one of these things where like, oh, it's that guy. You know, it's like, oh, who would have known? You know, so uh, yeah, I mean. There's tons I mean, of things we didn't even touch on. I mean, know, he's a he's legend. Done. I mean, he's he's a legend, and, and um, it's like you you've pointed out before, uh, Jay. Where it's you, you think about if he wasn't there, a lot of the stuff that we just take for fucking granted now. Yeah, I know, mean, maybe you know, look, chances are some, somebody would have figured it out. Yeah. But Dick, not only did Dick do it and pioneer it, he readily. It's like your mother. He readily gave the recipe out. Yeah, yeah. Here's how you do it. You know, sure, I'm, you know, and, it, and, it, and that was very rare he, in a Hollywood situation. He was willing to, you know, in a way he was a teacher, you yeah. know, and he, he, uh, 
he had a bunch of kind of disciples of of his of his work, and he was generous. Yeah, and he, you're right. He was a teacher to everybody, and then that was why we all found out last week when uh, when Rick Baker tweeted out, "The master is gone. My friend and mentor Disc Smith is no longer with us. The world will not be the same." And I I agree. I mean, he 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 really literally changed the world for 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 people who were interested in the cinema. I mean, what, he, what you're able to accomplish. In 2012, he got like an honorary uh, Oscar for his work, and um, now 2014, uh, you know, we lost another great uh, Hollywood legend. Yeah. I mean, sad. it is, it's sad, but, uh, you know, what's great about art in general, and, and especially cinema, is, you know, we get to enjoy the work kind of forever. Yeah. Luckily, we, we still have this. And only if we took that camera. If I mean, we'd have a picture with us. <laughs> we'd, have, we'd have a little more fun. But you know what? Because we're recording this to, to vinyl or to wax, <laughs> this cast, it's now going to be in the internets. So maybe this legendary, you know, when you and I are... are It'll are, be in the... Uh, our zillionaires, you know, and people are going to... Library be, of Congress. This will put... be the urban legend. Did you know that, you know, Jay Blake, uh, you know, the, the bl- great blues singer and film uh, filmmaker and guitarist and uh, Dion Baia, whoever the hell I'm doing, uh, you know... We, we got to spend a little bit of, little bit of time with Dick Smith. With Dick Smith, all, you know, all courtesy of Howard Enderson. God bless Howard Enderson. Um, God great bless man. Dick Smith. God bless Dick Smith. So please... Um, Check us out. Uh, check out the other sidecasts. We're at podbeast.com and Jay Blake and I have another thing coming out of the pipe. Um, at some point we'll get to it. Yeah, Saturday. Movies, but we, this is the movies. second time we've profiled, we've profiled someone specific. Yeah, and this is so, almost a good thing for the sidecast. <laughs> so this, you know. you know, we might do something like this again. Yeah. So uh, thank you very much for listening and check us out online. We're everywhere, and uh, you know, we'll talk to you soon. Later. Later.